Welcome to Feasting on Design. I'm your host, Jason Frostholm. Today, I'm talking with designer Alex Ponce, who has worked for brands like Stone Brewing and Taco Bell. We chat about creating branding for craft and microbreweries, designing at scale for limited release products for Taco Bell, how he thinks about concepting, differentiating and creating story for brands that operate in the same market and demographic space, plus a whole lot more. One last thing before you get to the episode, Alex and I forgot to talk about it, but go check out his new project, Hop Feed, which is some cool beer-related merchandise and helps beer lovers connect and share beers from around the country. You can find out more about it at thehopfeed.com. Thanks for joining me tonight. Thank you for having me. So I've, I've been wanting to talk to you for a while. And then with with the launching of Feasting on Design, it actually made more sense to talk to you on on here than it did on the previous podcast, <laughs> uh, especially kind of given your, your background. So let, let, let's start off. You, I mean, I don't know your whole background, but I know for a while you were working for... Um, for Stone Brewing as yeah. as one of their designers. Correct. How did how did that come about and what were you doing there? Oh man, so I was just graduating design school and I found a recent passion for craft beer and I was like, mm-hmm. why not mix my two passions of design and craft beer? So I know I knew of two local breweries to me down in Southern California which was uh, Stone Brewing was one of them. And so mm-hmm. I was like, you know what? I'll shoot sh- shoot something in the dark, see if I see if I get the right catch. So I did it and spent about a year there, designing okay. over fifteen beer labels. All right. So with with designing beer labels, there's you know obviously all the creative stuff that goes into it, and you've got to do the creative briefs and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. But there are legal requirements that Ooh, go yeah. into it. So how did you? Um, how did you at the time meet that challenge and still make it not feel like you were just slapping information into a space? Um, well, when I got there, there was, you know, two senior designers that I was working close hand in hand with. Um, I was working on more like the one-off small batch beer labels, um, Mm -hmm. and not only learning from them, but creating and finding a system of you know doing the the cool work here knowing you have you know this x amount of space and then don't forget to you know leave room for the upc code Mm -hmm. um correct sizing for ttb requirements which is always sometimes a pain but there's Mm -hmm. ways of working around it and or working through it but with a creative side to it sure So, so for people who aren't familiar what's ttb TTB is basically the government on on showcasing and approving each alcoholic beverage. Um, mm-hmm. There are certain requirements, you know, uh, for a 12-ounce bottle or can or a vessel bigger that holds alcoholic or alcohol in it, in the, the call-out for the ABV needs to be 2 millimeters or higher. And show, mm-hmm. so yeah, there's a bunch of different rules. And, you know, depending on what TTB agent you get, 
you know, it depends on how quickly it happens and stuff like that. But how how strict they are to actually oh, yeah. perfectly adhering to it and all that stuff. <laughs> yeah. I know I know here locally we've had I think in the past 2 years a bunch of different breweries open up and that's been one of their biggest challenges is finding people to actually work within those parameters who are local. Yeah, there's um, th- there's things that you could do like let's say Stone wasn't as big as we all know we all know that Stone is and sure. they don't distribute past California, they could do a mm-hmm. different um, sort of l- legal aspect where it doesn't need to be as strict. So if it's staying mm-hmm. in within your state, there's different rules that apply to different, you know, vessels and different cans and different bottles and stuff like that. Sure. So when, you know, kind of moving past the boring legal side of it, <laughs> when you were designing for stone, um, at, at the time, had they very much solidified their look of what their cans were be, or were they still morphing into that? Oh, uh, right when I got in, they had just dropped the Co. So it used to be Stone Brewing Co. Co. for, for mm-hmm. company, obviously. But then uh, CEO and founder Greg Cook decided to drop the Co. because they were soon to open Stone Berlin, which is... Mm-hmm. Uh, in Germany, obviously, but their version of Co over there is GmbH, and so Stone Brewing GmbH didn't really sound good. <laughs> sure. And for a logo aspect, it was a nightmare. But so he just dropped Co. <laughs> you can imagine. <laughs> so they just dropped Co, and then we were kind of transitioning into a more streamlined, evergreen, different series and families and subbrands of beer uh, lines with un- under the Stone Brewing uh, umbrella. So mm-hmm. there was a big challenge. Uh, some of it was, you know, do we do this? Do we not do that for certain bottles and cans? And then we just made it work. And they're still continuing to streamline everything more and more. Sure. So when, when you were basically setting up those symptoms, like symptoms, systems, um, like you said, you were developing for different kind of sub sub brands and things like that Mm -hmm. how how did how did you guys set up those systems how Um, did you differentiate well we knew year-round beer or our core beers were you know going to be produced the most going to be seen the most because limited releases and seasonals aren't always in every liquor store shelf or you know Mm -hmm. uh local beverage and so we knew that we had more of a strict system with our core beers we want to still make sure it said stone as a quick read where you know these limited releases one-offs we had a little more playfulness with it um you know stone could be the second read but we have the gargoyle on there Mm -hmm. so it's it's just a mixture of you know playing with it knowing where where it is going to live in the stone brewing family Mm -hmm. with with the different packaging substrates that you would use for different lines of beer were there different ways that you guys were designing for them say you know say you've got arrogant bastard going out and it's going out in a bomber versus going out in a six pack of cans or a six pack of bottles how how was how were you differentiating the design styles well 
not only using a different die just because bottles had a smaller die sure, than a can, sure. but yeah. we would try to push the 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 vessel on on being on our side with it. So like on the arrogant bastard can, you'd see some aluminum come through the gargoyle. So we mm. we could play that factor, and when it comes to the glass, we would let negative space create you know more depth and shadowing for the gargoyle. Mm. So we would use the vessel to our advantage, um, but trying to pull out some of the stops if it obviously if it was in budget because you know stones like huge and producing so much beer, <laughs> so we had sure. to make sure it was in budget. But our the we we tried making the vessel part of our side and didn't really fight with it if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, because I know like stone now, and I have I have I haven't paid it that close of attention to the the can packaging for um arrogant bastard but like six pack of bottles now they some of them and this may just be in alabama because we've got weird labeling laws that are aside from just the federal stuff yeah but the the six pack bottles now have a paper label before and the bomber labels have like a thermographic on them yeah. Um, so it's it's really like just a two color label on the bombers, and then there's more more detail and more of a full color on the the six pack bottles. Yeah. So actually, Stone was actually pretty well known for actually screen printing on bottles, um, mm-hmm. having that really neat texture, and so you could have something could you know a lot of collectors, beer bottle collectors, actually you know collect Stone bottles just for the screen print aspect. And then we they were slowly tra- transitioning to a new labeling system called PSL, um, uh-huh. which is kind of the same, you know, there's no, it's it's like a transparent sticker almost, but it's got some embossing sure. to it. So sure. it's got, it's got a feel to it, but it's obviously not screen print just because of budget and, you know, they're ramping up production. It's cheaper. Yeah. 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 So that might be the, the transparency sticker you're, you're referring to, but, uh, I, I think that's across the board for yeah, all stone yeah. glass now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so, so you were there, like you said, you were there for about a year. Mm-hmm. You worked on what was it, fifteen different something labels? over a little over fifteen, something like that. Sure. So, with within those, where were you? Which projects were kind of the most exciting for you to be able to? flex your creativity with um so when i was first starting in, to get into craft beer i was watching a lot of these youtube videos that co-founder or founder of stone greg cook were like releasing kind of like an indiegogo mm-hmm. project on mm-hmm. uh showcasing you know hey we're gonna make this series of really exclusive bottles uh for the you know breaking ground in stone in in berlin and mm-hmm collaborating with a bunch of top top of my favorite breweries you know world world known breweries and come to find out uh it, i got to partner up with another senior designer for them for that uh project and i got to design you know thir- the system or the template that has all 13 or however many bottles that that series has and when i was watching those youtube videos i wasn't even legal age to drink <laughs> <laughs> So, well, you know, things happen. Yeah. There's nothing illegal about watching the videos. Correct, correct. 
Yes. You can watch the videos all day long. But <laughs> if, you, if your mom's watching, you didn't drink them until you were 21. Exactly. Right? <laughs> and I'm sure she believes that. <laughs> um, a- after, after, you, after you leave Stone, what do you end up doing? Where do you end up going? Um, so after I left Stone, uh, I was freelancing for a couple months. Okay. And then uh, I got a small little contract gig with uh, Jacuzzi, which was like the Jacuzzi brand, obviously. Uh, um, kind of doing my own thing with them and then just working on freelance on the side. Uh, I would say like mo- mostly full-time freelance with, you know, Jacuzzi throwing me some work. But then I was like, you know what? I'm not really feeling this. I want something more. And then uh, I applied and interviewed for a position at Taco Bell Design. So, 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 how does going from drawing beer labels to drawing tacos for a living? <laughs> yeah, because I mean, you you go from even though Stone in the craft brewing game is a big player, yeah. It's still craft brewing, so they are not this. You know, they're not owned by PepsiCo. They're not. You yeah, know, they're not massive, macro beer. They're not. Yeah, they're, they're not, not macro they're not beer. They're not. They're not massive, and they are a lot more receptive to playing around with different things and 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 stretching their legs on stuff. How how how? What was that transition like for you? Um, it wasn't actually not too far off. Uh, if anything, it just scaled things up a lot. You know, mm-hmm. granted, Stone's not the smallest brewery, sure. and Taco Bell is one of the largest fast food chains in the world. Uh-huh. And uh-huh. so, I think just everything scaled up. You know, the design team got bigger, uh, the projects got bigger, uh, the just the 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 overall outcome and the audience and the exposure got bigger. Mm-hmm. But you also have more people weighing in at that point too. Yes, there are a lot more players. There are a lot more of partners in that situation. Um, which you know, me being a, a somewhat young designer, I think I tried to you know work around that or work through it as best as I could uh, with mm-hmm. either you know a lot of uh, input or a lot of aspects coming in every which way, but. Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, so, at the end of the day, you know something a taco needs to get delivered. <laughs> yeah, this is true. How does how does their design team operate? Do they operate as an in house agency, or are they just kind of a department that happens to do design? It's in house agency actually. They're pretty new. Uh, Twenty fifteen, I think they were founded. Um, cool, rad, rad people. Best team that mm-hmm. I've ever worked with. Um, but it was yeah between. Our, it's obviously located in the Taco Bell uh, corporate offices in Irvine, California. But within those four walls are a lot of creative mm-hmm. people and got to make some cool stuff. What I mean, what's the day to day like in that? Because, you know, there, there's there's so many moving parts that go into a corporation like that and stuff that I imagine just never sees the light of day. Like you'll like like products that never see the light of day that are going through like test kitchen and stuff like that. Oh yeah. That you probably have to work up entire packages for. Yeah. So some of it was like, 
it's almost kind of like along the same lines as whether because I was kind of brought in as like a, a limited release guy at Stone, you know, work on the small mm. batch stuff. And I noticed I was kind of doing a lot of that stuff at Taco Bell as well. You know, more mm-hmm. little the niche menu items or the the very small releases or something like that. You know, I got to dabble with some, you know, national wide releases like roll chicken tacos, but you know, whether it ever saw the light of day, we still treated it like it would go to every Taco Bell location, whether it's, you know, one store in the nation or, you know, ten thousand. Gotcha. When when you're designing for them, and you're designing at scale like that, how much does data come into play and in how you design? Oh, uh, actually, there's that's another thing that I learned in Taco Bell. There's a lot of you know marketing tactics. What's the right messaging? Um, mm-hmm. A lot of lot of data in the in the background, which we get as the designer and working on the project. We get you know some of it, most of it, sure. preferably on time. But <laughs> um, but that was another thing that we always had to keep in the back of our head when we're designing, you know, a menu item. Mm-hmm. When 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 you are designing product and, and and menu item stuff, you what what? Give me an example of a brief for that because I I like I've done stuff for restaurants and stuff before, but. It, Never at that scale and never where it's like you're designing something for an individual menu item. How does that work and how do you work that into the overall system? Well, like when I got briefed for rolled chicken tacos, which is, you know, a a fan favorite that comes back every year. um, It was all about the correct marketing target or messaging. So uh, portability for the rolled chicken tacos, it's it's a. (laughs) <laughs> it's it, you could you know take it on the go and stuff like that sure. so it would and we we're targeting more of a younger audience with those and you know compared to like surprisingly the mexican pizza a lot of the older generation loves that more than the younger and so apparently i'm in the older generation <laughs> <laughs> but it all depends on what the the partners and the and the brand team and the marketing team came up to you know tbd which is talkable design uh uh-huh. And we just ran with it. During your time there, how long ago was it that you were there? Uh, I was there for a year and I left in April of 2018. Okay. So during your time there is kind of where they started streamlining the logo then too, wasn't it? Uh, right when I, uh, surprisingly, when I got to Stone, they were streamlining it. And when I got to Taco Bell, they had, they had just launched the more modern look of the, the Taco Bell logo. Gotcha. So they're still in the process of retconning everything and bringing it into play and working within the new system at that point, I'm assuming. Yes. So we, and we were try, almost along the same lines as Stone. We we're trying to figure out which belongs in which uh, universe. So sure. And, you know, as time went on, it got easier and easier. I'm sure they're still trying to figure out like, hey, this lives in this concept or this family. But uh-huh. it's it's pretty well thought out. Yeah. Uh, While you're there, are there any just menu items that they come up with that you're just like, oh, my God, who would ever eat that? Uh, That's a good question. There was a lot of test kitchen items that I tried. Some of them some of them were crazy. But if it's all the light of day, it might have been in a smaller market. Um, Sure. What was it? 
Oh, there was this. No, no. What was it? It was like a pretzel taco. Ooh. It actually it wasn't that bad. It, it doesn't sound good, but I mean, I also said the Dorito taco shell didn't sound good. And oh, the Dorito taco. Do <laughs> That's a that makes so, that makes a killing. Um. Yo, God, yeah, I know. <laughs> um, yeah, they had. I mean, the the pipeline that they have into um, broke college students slash stoner, you know, food favorites. Yeah, is it's amazing. They got it down. Yeah, what's the new one that they got out where it's like the fried chicken is the taco shell? Fried chicken. Have you seen that one? Oh yeah, uh, I think they were working on that right when I was leaving. Um, I don't know the name of it. I haven't really been following. Yeah, no. Nacho I, fries I are back, it. though. Nacho fries. Have you had them? Uh, I haven't. It's uh, It's been probably two or three years since I've actually been to Taco Bell. Nacho fries. It's worth it. Trust me. Uh, I, I, I'll give it a shot. My problem is there's not a Taco Bell that's convenient for me to get to mm. from where I live or from my office, like from my office, I got to get in a car and actually drive to get to the nearest Taco Bell. So it's like, I can just walk to a mom and pop place. That's yeah, that's true. It's all about same price and better. So, (laughs) um, and the nearest taco, I mean, the nearest Taco Bell to my house is probably 15 minutes away. Uh, So got to get them on that. Yeah, I know. We've got to have a talk with them. Yep. So, so, so you're there for a year. Um, when, when you step out from there, do you go back to freelancing again? So, yeah, um, I've been full-time you... freelance since April. So how's, how's that work for you setting up the, because, you know, when, when you left stone and you freelanced for a while and you, you still had like the jacuzzi stuff to kind of piggyback be on, a yeah. steady contract and piggyback on. Now that you've gone into full-time freelance, how is how is the stuff that you've learned from those two areas helped you? Um being patient and knowing when to pursue something actually. Um I think whether the client that I've that I the clients I've had either small or big, I think it's always taking the right approach and running with it or being a, a, a well thought out designer and just saying, Hey, this, this project isn't meant for me and, and stuff mm-hmm. and, you know, playing along those lines. But I think I've learned a lot. i still have a lot to learn, sure. um, but it's worked for me. Surprisingly, I'm still shocked. <laughs> gotcha. How, how has been learning the business side of things for you? So actually, when I was going to school for design, I actually took grasp of the business side a lot quicker and better than I ever thought. So, really? yeah, uh, I loved my business of graphic design classes, you know, brand management uh, and stuff like that. And and I it always stuck with me. And so I think taking all those things, those key attributes that I've learned from those classes and I just did it in real life application. I think it's helped me in the long run. God, I wish they would have offered those classes when I went to college. <laughs> I was reading the syllabuses to all these classes. I'm like, that sounds boring. And I'm like, I'm so glad I took those classes. Uh, 
But, yeah, that's 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 th- those are the important classes. I've, yeah. I've got a buddy who um, is a dentist, and he complains now. He's like, they shouldn't have offered the business of dentistry class as an elective. Like, <laughs> I need that. I should have taken that class. Yeah, <laughs> stuff like that. So you know, as as, you, as you're setting up and and that being patient and knowing when to say no, what are, what are some of the determining factors that you use, um, to kind of red light and green light projects? Um, what my current plate looks like, um, there's been times, you know, I've done, I've done longer work week, uh, hours freelance than I ever did for Taco Bell or stone, which oh sure, yeah. kind of, I was not expecting that going in, but uh-huh. And that's when I started realizing I'm like, okay, either I need to bring in someone to help or I need to say no to someone, which <laughs> I didn't like it. I always say yes, even still to uh-huh. this day. I'm one of those designers and or people. But uh, it's just either, you know, current plate status, um, if I believe in the project um, and, you know, time over mm-hmm. value. Um Stuff like that. And, and I'm still learning all those things. You know, don't, I don't, sure. I don't think anyone gets it right the first time. Sure. I, I, I think, I think the healthy thing that I, I've learned over the years of, of talking to people and, and trying to freelance, cause I mean, I don't freelance full time. I freelance as on the side, um, is, it's a constant learning process and things are always evolving and there's always something you don't know that you'll find out, especially when it comes to the business side of it. Mm-hmm. Like you just, you may never have been presented with situation X before and all of a sudden you need to know about it. Yep. Things could turn upside down tomorrow. Yeah, very much so. <laughs> so now that you're freelancing full time, are there, is are you trying to be more of a generalist or are you trying to niche down? Um, well, with the brands that I've designed for in the past, I've kind of been pushed into this niche of beer labels and fitness, um, mm-hmm. which is two weird spectrums. Yes. But <laughs> <laughs> they, they generally don't go together. No, they don't. Um, but I guess that's where I fall into place. Um, but I've been niched into this, that little corner and I'm okay with it. Um, mm-hmm. but that doesn't mean I'm, I'm not willing to open, you know, get my feet wet and, and, you know, do hospitality or something along those lines. So yes, I'm sure. known for something, but I, no, I won't say no to a new industry that I'm uncomfortable with. Sure. Are there, are there certain things that you're pursuing that you, when, when you first started freelancing that you didn't think you'd be going after? Um, I think I knew about it and I had a feeling that I would want to do it, but I never knew the, the chances of me actually getting it or getting, even getting close to it. So like, mm-hmm. For some reason, I've always wanted to design a toothpaste packaging. Okay. Super weird, I know, but I don't know. I don't know what's with you know Crest and Colgate, but I'm not fans of it. And so, it's, I mean, it's pretty sterile. <laughs> but I'm not. That's if you had asked me, what's my dream project is to design a toothpaste packaging. I don't know why. How? 
no idea why. Say, say, say Crest came to you tomorrow um, and they're launching a new line of, I don't know, natural toothpastes. Um, just because there seems to be a swing towards using that like charcoal activated toothpaste oh man um, yes i would do it <laughs> um how well obviously but <laughs> how would you approach that um so i've been when i get a new project whether it's something that i'm familiar with like beer labels or something completely different i try to get to the same endpoint like anyone else can but in a different mm -hmm. way and i think we all try to do that but i've been somewhat lucky on if you tell me two plus two equals four i'll still get there but i'll find a whole different way which i know logically doesn't make any sense but mm -hmm. i try to think outside of the box i think conceptually all way different than any other designer i've ever worked with and mm -hmm. it's something that i've used to my ability and i think that's one of the reasons why i could stand out on designing a toothpaste packaging <laughs> yeah so, so if it is a charcoal activated toothpaste, what color palette do you use? Do you go with the black or do you, uh, do you go a different direction? I'm almost like sure go with the black, but almost like super premium looking where it's like matte black, but with like text that's like their logo is like glossy black. Maybe. I don't know. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm trying to think of is like, do you go with the black? Do you go with like a dark gray? Do you do something that's matte? Do you do a gloss? That's what I literally I'm thinking that through in my head as we're talking. Like, <laughs> I think I would actually I think I would actually go with a gloss packaging, but matte text. Ooh, I like that I where you can feel it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it gives it a little bit of texture and you get that little bit of grit feel mm -hmm. like because I have not used a charcoal activated toothpaste. But now um, you're going to. <laughs> no, I'm too cheap to spend the extra. Like, do they I, even I make that? Spend, yeah, yeah. Oh, I haven't seen it. Like they literally do, and it's it's a black toothpaste. My sister in law has it, <laughs> um, and I like. It's like, can I feel it? And it's it's got a different texture to it. It's yeah. not. It's it's slightly grittier. It's just. But it's also chalkier, which I guess, you know, I guess that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, it tasted like toothpaste. It didn't mm. like taste weird or anything like that, because I was really kind of expecting like you're going to notice that charcoal flavor yeah. and all in it. But no, it tasted like regular old mint toothpaste. It just it felt a little different and it was black. It was it was black. Yeah. <laughs> so I was like. It's got to look weird when you brush your teeth with it, like you're getting ready to spit and you look in the mirror and it's like, oh, what the hell? Yeah, totally weird. <laughs> like some Freaks bad Halloween costume. Yeah. <laughs> so move, moving moving back to beer, um, since, since you do a lot of that, when it comes to working with different clients and differentiating them, you know, that can be a challenge and, you know, to get your mindset in a different, because in a different zone for each client, when they're in the same industry and their demographics are generally the same mm -hmm. or, or very similar and all that, how are you, how are you sussing out the brand's personality and figuring out a direction to go from there? Ooh, that's a good one. I think 
when it comes to ironically, like you even said, same demographic, same industry. And for me, same region, like all my yeah, beer clients yeah. are in Southern California. And so I think trying to bring forward their story and putting it on a alcoholic vessel is mm-hmm. the, obviously the overarching thing that I try to do, but like try to conceptualize it even a little bit more. Like, you know, if they are all about barrel aging, you know, throw some wood texture in there or something like that. Sure. So trying to retell their story that they, that the founders and everyone who's a part of it, but on packaging, which I think I try to do most of the time, given, you know, the briefing and, and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. How are, how are you, how are you getting the owners to tell their story? Cause a lot of times I've noticed with, people who are starting up and you know they may not be familiar with how this works and how the industry works and all the different aspects because their passion is we're going to use beer their passion is beer you know they may not care about marketing but they know that they need it and things like that how are you getting them comfortable enough to tell their story in if in a way where you can get the maximum amount of information instead of just them giving you one to two sentences of, well, we really started it because we hated our jobs and we'd been, (laughs) we'd been brewing together in our garage for the past five years. And we just decided, fuck it. We're going to start a new business. Yeah. I think it's, it's a, it's, it's a discovery phase for both. Not only me learning them as beer makers and what sure. they bring to the table, but it's also a discovery phase for them to realize, Oh damn, this is actually more than just a beer, a brewery that we make, we brew beer. This is, mm-hmm. you know, uh, a concept. This is a, you know, a lifestyle. This is, this is why we are different from the people down the street, you know, brewing mm-hmm. the same beer styles. But I think when I sit down with, uh, you know, brewery owners and my clients, I think it's more of opening their eyes more than mine and realizing what you're doing is something that revolves around community, revolves around beer, obviously, and revolves Mm -hmm. around the social aspect of being, bringing people together. Sure. There's Mm -hmm. beer involved, which obviously, but I think it's realizing that, you know, beer is a bigger thing than just an alcoholic liquid it's sure. an, it's an aspect it's a pillar of you know bringing people together and that's one of the reasons why i like designing for beer and consuming beer um yeah <laughs> but i think it, that disc, that early on discovery phase finding out who they are with them and actually showcasing to them like hey you're something than more than just you know this brewery that makes beer mm-hmm. and i think that's cool do you, do you take that same approach and kind of apply it when you're talking to them of, you know, telling them, you know, I don't want to just do a job for you. I want to be a partner with you on this. And, you know, I'm invested in your success. Do you take that approach with them? Oh, uh, yeah. It, it, you know, obviously where where I can fit in and be the, my biggest that I could be the biggest of help you know, pass, you know, branding and packaging and all that stuff. I'd love to, you know, be a part of, you know, being somewhat of an art director when it comes to like, Hey, we're going to open up a new spot. What do you, what do you, how do you envision this? And I'm like, well, I've been involved with your brand for, you know, however long, but, you know, being a part of that new layer of, you know, environmental design and stuff like that is always really fun. 
Mm-hmm. When have you had much opportunity to do environmental design? Um, very little. I would love to be a little more on that side. Um, sure. With you know staging and, and stuff like that, and you know help showcasing and like, hey, this is this is pretty cool. Check this out or something like that. Um, but it, you know it comes with more experience in the career. Sure. Yeah. No, that's that's something that I would like to do as well. That I, I mean, I've done like trade shows and stuff here and there. That environmental, but not like a standalone store or things and like mortar. that. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'd 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 like to have a hand with that. I I tried to get a current client of mine on board with that idea, but they just didn't have the they didn't really have the budget for it, nor yeah. nor did they see the need for it. Um, but their place. I mean, they've they've sent me pictures of their place. It didn't turn out bad. It looks very nice. Yeah. So. Obviously, there there would yeah. be things as a designer, you know, for their brand yeah. and packaging. We we would see differently, but yeah. you know, it's it's their baby. It's their brand. Oh yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, well, and, and the reason I asked you that question of the the being you know more of a partner than just a contractor, um, is you know when you're when you're going full time, full time freelance, and you're making it a career, you can't just, you can't really just rely on one off jobs. You've got to have oh, yeah. repeat business, and you've got to have, you know, someone who trusts you and trusts you enough to talk about you to other people. Yeah. How do you how do you try to build that up? How do you try to ingrain that for yourself? Oh, uh, actually, it almost starting off freelancing in like 2015, I realized like just being a, a professional businessman along being, you know, being the designer for all these clients mm-hmm. is something that goes hand in hand and just showcasing that, you know, showing the, the client like, hey, I'm not working for you. I'm working with you. And mm-hmm. and I think that's build enough trust in my current clients that are all returning clients. You know, mm-hmm. my my bread and butter have been returning clients, you know, moving on to bigger and better things or opening second locations and just growing. And, mm-hmm. you know, being a part of that along the, the journey, it's been wonderful. I, I, mm-hmm. I wouldn't trade it for anything. But I think just having that, you know, seeing seeing down the right path and having an eye for something and, and just speaking the, the right, you know, terminology to them. It, it's it's second nature now. Gotcha. When when you're going out and trying to find new business, because another part of it is you've got to you've got to be a salesperson too. Yeah. How do you how how are you approaching that? Because a lot of people, especially a lot of designers, are introverted, and that is not their strong point. They don't want to get out there and cold call or knock on doors. Um, or you know, even for me, when I was really kind of first starting off, getting back into freelancing a few years ago, like I was even scared to send emails. Like oh, it yeah. was just super intimidating just to do that. How did you, how, how are you, how are you approaching that? Um, I think it helps that I'm not introverted. I'm very extroverted. Um, sure. uh, I, I, I'm a very talkative person. <laughs> sure. <laughs> um, but I'm actually lucky enough. I've only had to go out and and cold call or you know send a cold email or any of that only like two or three times and Mm -hmm. i I, and you know i i i take it with a lot of respect and 
just luck that I've, a lot of my clients are all either returning clients and, or they found mm-hmm. me. So, um, I don't have, in all honesty, I don't have much experience, you know, cold calling or sending out proposals or estimates or anything like that, which sure. f- quite honestly scares me, it scares me a lot. Cause when that time yeah. comes, I'm going to be, you know, this extrovert that doesn't know how to, you know, do all this, you know, cold calling and stuff like that. So sure. Do you, do you have people that you can have kind of mentor you along the way um, and, and, and give you advice on how to do that? Oh, yeah. The community down here, I'm, you know, I'm 60 miles south of L.A., 25 miles south of Orange County. And so the community mm-hmm. here is phenomenal. I've met some veteran designers. I, you know, I will bounce ideas off or, you know, ask for assistance or anything like that when I can. The community mm-hmm. down here in Orange County is great. Gotcha. As 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 you get more into freelancing and more into running your own business, do you find yourself pulling away from using the term freelancer and just referring to yourself as a business owner? Um, I don't think I'm at that point yet. In all honesty, I think I'm still young to the game. I'm 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 st- I'm still wanting to learn more. You know, sure. if I, if I uh, opportunity lands in my lap and you know I step away from full time freelance to get another gig, sure I'll take it. Mm-hmm. You know okay. why not? I'm at the age where I can and, and just rely. I I don't think I could fully rely on freelance the rest of my life. In all honesty, mm-hmm. um, it's a it's a big big monster that I don't know if I'm ready for it. But uh, I the journey that I've had with full time freelance, I would still consider myself a freelancer and not a business owner, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, that makes complete sense. I I I am I am trying to look at things from the other way, but I'm I'm in the same boat as you. I'm I'm you know, since I do have a full time job, my wife's a designer as well, and you know, we work together and you know She's handling stuff during the day when I can't and, mm-hmm. you know, vice versa. Um, so I'm trying to get in that mindset of, you know, I'm I'm a business owner who happens to have a f- another full time job. And it's it's tough. It's 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 a it's a tough position to be in. Um, but part of the reason I'm trying to do that is. I, I, I honestly, I think has to do with the region that I'm in. Mm-hmm. Um, when you call yourself a freelancer in, you know, South Alabama, people look at that as, oh, they're just a flaky person who's, you know, comes in and does one thing and goes and they're not they're not going to be reliable. Or they're not going to be around. Yeah. I mean, like things. location could be one thing, but I, I would only say um I think it's just a different approach when it comes to a better or worse location. Um, I think sure. if you, you know, if your work shows for it and or, you know, you, you're you're thinking about the bigger picture or the bigger region, you know, mm-hmm. doesn't it. I don't think it actually holds you against anything, you know. Oh, yeah. But um, I, I would love to start thinking as a business owner and less as a freelancer but I just don't think I'm there yet as a, in my career. Um, but sure. I think what helped me to get to the point where I'm at, I'm at today 
when I still had the full-time gigs at Stone and Taco Bell, I would still freelance on the side. And mm-hmm. some people called me crazy. A lot of my peers were like, how do you do it? And all honestly, I don't know how to how I did it. But, you know, I would work nine, ten-hour days and then come home, commute home because I don't live close to either Stone or Taco Bell. Sure. But um, I would come home and freelance into the night and burn that midnight oil. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that's 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 I mean, that's the approach that I take right now is, you know, I get home, I spend right when I get home, I drop my stuff off, I check up on any emails that I need to, and then I go spend time with my family until the kids go to bed, and then I work for a few hours yeah. um catching up on the stuff that I couldn't and yeah, it's it it's challenging. It um is. Not to say that I don't enjoy it, but I sure wouldn't mind uh, extra few hours of sleep every once in a while. Oh yeah, they're, they're, <laughs> sometimes we get run, we run thin, but then sometimes you know with the extra hours that we work into the night, you know our pockets are a little bit you know fill, full. Yeah, so yeah, that definitely helps. Ex- that Goes extra money is nice. Yeah, that <laughs> extra money is nice. I I mean honestly, I'm like close to twenty years in on being a designer. And I've always freelanced, but it usually was up until about three years ago, it was usually like one or two projects a year. Mm-hmm. It was not like, you know, trying to actually earn extra money. It was just friend asked me to do something and yeah, yeah, I got time. I can do this. I can help him out. I wasn't seeking out trying to do that, but now I've turned it into, you know, I work, I work a corporate job that's, you know, while I, you know, it's, it's a great place to work. I don't necessarily get to do the most creative things every single day. It's, those are few and far between. And it's this being able to do freelance gives me that opportunity to stretch those creative muscles and get the things that I'm not able to do at work. Yeah. And I think it's actually pretty good for us, you know, whether we live or we work at a corporate environment and then, you know, spread those extra, you know, those extra, extra wings and, and, you know, flex those muscles that we don't always get to uh, flex on the nine to five. Mm -hmm. And I I think that's always helped me. You know, I got to work on the stuff that I wanted to work on after hours yeah, and I'm not saying my gigs, my full time gigs, weren't stuff I wasn't wanting to work on. I love drawing tacos and drinking beer on the clock. <laughs> sure, <laughs> <laughs> but it is nice to be able to do something that is not the same thing every day. Not, Agreed. Yes. Yeah, not drawing, not drawing tacos every day, or not drawing, you know, gargoyles every day. <laughs> that sort of stuff. So um, as we're as we're getting kind of close to our time, um, what what is aside from toothpaste packaging, what is something that you've been really wanting to dig your teeth into and kind of maybe learn a new skill set or just go, you know, all out bonkers for in a different realm? Um, well. Alongside with toothpaste, I would love to have a coffee client. I consume coffee by the gallons. <laughs> uh, I, I've yet to have a beer, uh, a coffee client. Uh-huh. Um, I would love to have one of those. But I, when it comes to learning a new skill set or along those lines, I would love to start 
dabbling into UI. Um, I'm I've pushed myself so deep into this one realm of you know print branding, uh, packaging labels and stuff like that where I I feel like I'm. I'm not hanging out with the cool UI kids. <laughs> yeah. So especially I, being I want, in California. Yeah, exactly. You know, half my half my uh, peers and half my friends that are all they're all product designers and UI designers, and I'm like, mm -hmm. can't talk all that cool stuff with you guys. But I would I would love to start dabbling into UI. Um, you know, uh, grab that other pillar of design that I I, I find uh, very interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I. Um I fought it for a long time, and then I just I, I I started was like you know I'm gonna need to learn it at some point because it's it's harder and harder to find stuff that's just print based. Yeah, and I I, I started was it two weeks ago Adobe or last week I don't remember recently um, <laughs> Adobe was doing. Um, their little XD daily challenge thing. Oh yeah. So I've, so I've started doing that and it's, it's kind of interesting. It's interesting figuring out a new program cause it doesn't, it's not as intuitive, um, as, as it is for me to design in that space as it yeah. is for me to design in Photoshop or illustrator or InDesign or something like that. Um, which, I think that Adobe could make a product that could do that for it and make it a lot easier than they have. But yeah, you know, I'm sure they're um, working on something. <laughs> oh, I'm sure they are. Yeah. Um, but, but the, the working in the UI space, um, ended up being a lot more interesting to me than I thought it would. So I, I, I can definitely see where you're coming from on that. It's, yeah. I think it's, it's like, a valuable skill to have. It's like, I'm kind of fighting it, but at the same time, I'm kind of like, welcoming it with like open arms it's like it's weird that, for yeah. me i don't know that's exactly the same way i am i mean i've been print my whole life yeah and and to move into this direction is is uh is very different and i don't know whether to run towards it or run away from it <laughs> same boat <laughs> yeah um real real quickly um I got a, I got a couple quick fire questions for you. Bring it on. What since we've been talking a lot about beer, what what is your favorite uh, beer style? Beer style right now, obviously depending on the weather. And today it rained in California. Sure. Uh, barrel aged stout. Nice. Yep. Nice. Nice and malty. I like that. Um, what what is your feeling on IPAs? Uh, that's my second go to. Uh, I usually start with an IPA. Um, you know, depends on you know my who I'm hanging out with, which is weird to most people, but you know, an IPA to another IPA drinker, you know, it's like, you know, sharing water. <laughs> yeah. I, I like IPAs, but I, I'm always disappointed when I see breweries release like seven different IPAs because I think an IPA is probably the easiest beer to hide mistakes behind. Um, I could agree with that. Um, the hardest beer to to hide behind, and this is one of the things that I always look to grab at a new brewery that I'm going to, is a pilsner. If you could yeah. impress me with a pilsner, then you got me. With you'll, I'll try anything of yours if you have it on tap. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's like, I mean, not that I'm a Budweiser fan, but 
you got to give them credit. Like, to create a product that is that consistent, that stable, that long, that's a Pilsner, is impressive. Yes, but, you know, working for a craft brewery and, you know, being a very craft designer, I guess you could call me, uh, I... uh, I don't give my money to the big guys. I try to. No, go I don't. I don't either. I just, as far as I will say, it is impressive for however many years they've been doing it. It's like what? A, yeah, a hundred years or something. Oh yeah, more than that, I think. Yeah. Excluding the, you know, the prohibition era. Yeah. Which I'm pretty sure they were still making stuff then. Oh yeah, sure. <laughs> they just weren't selling it, or at least not selling it in the states. Yeah. So. Um, so what, what is your earliest kind of food memory? Food memory? Oh, uh, yeah. uh, I grew up playing soccer and I don't know what it was, but these oranges that I found or that I was having after every soccer practice locally, uh-huh. they were the best oranges I've ever had. And I will always remember those oranges. I don't know what they were. I don't know. I don't know if they're even still around. I'm saying like yes, oranges are still around, but like this particular yeah. orange, sure, super good. Um, that might be my first memory of like a food that I actually remember. Gotcha. Yeah. What What is your What is your kind of go to comfort uh, comfort food? Well, besides Chipotle being my life, uh, <laughs> you know, just some good French fries. I don't know. It always comforts me. Good, good fries. Gotcha. Not the healthiest of choices, but I try to lift heavyweights to to counteract. <laughs> gotcha. Normally, I would ask, "What is your death row meal?" But I'm going to ask, "What would your what would your death row beer be?" Death. Like if you could row have beer. any any beer, um, brand style, whatever, what would be that last one that you could take a swig of? Be. Oh man, that's a tough question. Why did you have to do that to me? Um. Probably like a really, really good aged sour. Like, I don't know, a Cantillon from, uh, which is a brewery in, in Belgium. Uh, mm-hmm. That in like 1992, because that was the year I was born. I don't know. There you go. All right. Birthday, birthday sour aged. Yeah, I, I, I've, I've seen theirs. Um, it's tough to get good beer in Alabama. I've seen theirs in a couple other places, but I have not had the chance to actually try one of the their aged sours. They're so, so hard to find, and yeah, if you find one, they're not cheap. <laughs> no, I'm willing to spend some money on a good beer. Oh yeah, um, yeah, I got a fridge full of aged beer. My fridge is my cellar. <laughs> yeah, that, well, you can see as we're talking, I got my handy dandy. F- your fridge here. Yeah. It is um, sadly om- almost empty of beer, though. I don't have any real good ones in there. I've just got some decent session beers in there. Uh-oh. So. Session oh, beers are always well, okay, though. Real. Yeah, yeah, they are. Um, real quickly, where can people find you online? Oh, Instagram, Twitter, uh, APCreative underscore. Um, just my initials and then creative. Don't forget the underscore, though. Um, someone took it yeah. from me. But, uh, yeah, and then... <laughs> uh ap-creative.com my website awesome alex thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me thanks for having i really me. appreciate it and uh go ahead and break some bread <laughs>
You can find out more about Alex on Twitter at APCreative underscore. And be sure to check out the links in the show notes for more ways to keep up with him. Visit FeastingOnDesign.com to catch up on the archives of the Creative South podcast. Get some cool swag like t-shirts and stickers that are on sale right now for 50% off with free shipping on orders over $25 when you use the code free shipping, all one word. Plus, you can keep up with the podcast on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Feast on Design. And I'm at Jay Frostholm on Dribble, Twitter, and Instagram. And if you like the show, head over to iTunes, leave us a rating and a review. And if you haven't already done so, please subscribe. <laughs>